The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. And I'm John. That's J-O-H-N. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to Ephesians uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. When I was growing up, I went to youth group every Sunday night, and of course, we had uh, different things that we did there, and then we went on youth trips, and uh, not sort of like CIY, but mission trips and all of those kind of things. And at every one of those events, at every one of those trips, um, we, we came away with, from those trips with like little phrases and inside jokes that only took place on that trip. So middle schoolers and high schoolers, can you feel me on that? Like little things that get said on those trips that, that if you didn't go, you completely missed out on. And when I became a youth pastor, one of the things that I was really excited about is that tradition did not die in the years between when I was in high school and when I was in, uh, when I was in youth ministry. For instance, every single time we hopped on our van in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the van was called um, Big Purple. Every single time we hopped on the van to take a trip somewhere, there would always be this conversation about quantities. And here's what I mean by that. How much is a few? How much is many? What does much mean? Like it was just never ending. As soon as we get on the van, all the kids would start talking about this. How much is a crap load? How much is a crap ton? How much is a crap ton in relation to a crap load? How about the word, the phrase, buttload? How does that fit in all of this? And that's probably the first time you've ever heard that from the front here, and probably the last time. Um, So save me the email. Don't send it. Um, I'm talking unending hours of conversations about quantities. And finally, on on one trip, I got sick of it, so I brought a legal pad because I knew the conversation was going to come up. And as soon as it did, I handed it to the student in shotgun, and I said, here's your job. Your job is to write all of this down. And then the next time, we got in the van, and that conversation began. I reached down into the little console and pulled out the legal pad and said, we never have to talk about this again. Here is, here is the list. Other times those conversations were, were a little bit more serious. Uh, we, I remember a conversation about the difference between a complaint and an observation. This was, this was critical for us. We were going to Mexico and Oftentimes, the observations that my students would make were things about a lack of hot water. They would make observations about the fact that they weren't allowed to flush their toilet paper uh, down the toilet. They would make observations about what happened when they accidentally put their toilet paper in the toilet. They'd have to grab the little stick that was there just for that reason. And if you've ever been to a country where you're not allowed to flush your toilet paper, you know exactly what that is like. And after all, Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining and arguing. It says nothing about making observations. So we made a ton of observations on that trip. And there were other phrases in conversations that were significantly more serious. There were other phrases and buzzwords that shaped 
me and they shaped my ministry for years to come. And one of those is a phrase I just want to introduce to you today. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it in the coming weeks. But the phrase is just simply, it's in your bulletin, realize, know, and accept. That little phrase, realize, know, and accept. Let's talk a little bit more about war bonds for a second. That was part of what we discussed last week. Without, let's say you find a war bond, and before you do some research, you don't know what, you don't realize what it is. Once you realize what that war bond is, once you realize that that war bond is worth money, you will know what you have to do with it. You'll know how to cash it in. And then when you do that, you will have to accept the fact that you'll have to pay taxes, right? So these three things, there's realize, which is very early in the process, there's no, and then there is accept. And this is, this is the absolute truth for every single thing um, that we learn. So, so take golf for a second. When I, was, when I was growing up, we played golf all the time. I took golf lessons on Thursday mornings. Um, when you play golf, you have to put on your golf shirt, so I'm going to do that. You should all be proud of me, although I borrowed this shirt. Okay, so come on, let's hear it. That's an N. Let's hear it. No, that's good, right? Nebraska. Right? So I would take, I would take golf lessons, and they would tell us all of the right things um, to do and how to play golf. Right? So they would tell us how we were supposed to stand we have we were supposed to address the ball they were supposed they would tell us how to how to grip the golf club they would tell us how to come back in the back swing and keep your left arm straight and the thing is is i realize i realize how to hold the golf club i realize it and what's more than that i actually know how to hold the golf club. I know how to stand. I know how to do all those things, keeping my left arm straight. I know how to move my hips when I come through. And the problem with this is um, my body doesn't accept any of that information. (laughs) And the reality of it is, if I were to hit this golf ball today, none of you would accept any of the information that I actually know how to hit a golf ball. So there's a difference Between these three things of realizing and knowing and accepting. Last week we read through and we talked about the spiritual blessings that are available to Christians. Available to people who are united with Christ. Available to people who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Yeah, I see people taking pictures, so just go ahead and do it. It's going to be embarrassing. That's cool. We talked about these spiritual disciplines, and the reason we did that is because for some of us, maybe a lot of us in the room, they're, they're unrealized things. We read these spiritual blessings, and it's kind of an introduction to us, like, oh, I, I didn't realize that these were the things I got when I entered into this relationship. So then we spent a lot of time on those spiritual blessings last week. And, and my hope is, for those of you who are in that, in that first category of not realizing, my hope is, by the end of our time last week, it, it went beyond realization 
to knowing just what it was that is available to you. But there's more to these things than just realizing and knowing. There's accepting. So I'm going to remind you of what these spiritual blessings are. God loved you and chose you. God adopted you and brought you to him. God poured out his grace on you. Jesus purchased you. Jesus forgave you. Jesus showered you with kindness and wisdom and understanding. Jesus revealed God's glory to you. Jesus gave you an inheritance. The Holy Spirit identified you as his, and the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee to you. And what I, what I asked you to do this week was spend some time in that first section of Ephesians chapter 1, realizing and knowing what those things were. But I didn't want you to just realize and know. I wanted you to accept it. I wanted you to read those things. I need to read those things so I can, I can know what they mean for me. I have to accept these blessings. Once we realize what these spiritual blessings are, we have to, we have to do something with them, right? Know more about them, which was last week's homework. But there's, but there's another step to learning, and, and this is the thing I, re- I really, wanted, really want you to be impacted on today. I, re- I really want you to realize, know, and accept. Like, we can do all of the right things, but until I, until I put everything that I learned during my golf lessons into practice, I'll never be able to properly play the game of golf. And for us as believers, we have a responsibility to put the things into practice that we realize and we know. That's our responsibility is to put them into practice. But one of the interesting things, and this is where metaphors fail, right? Everything I was talking about here, and there was that little pronoun I used before, everything I was talking about when I was talking about golf, I was using the pronouns of I and me and my, and all of those kind of things. But with spiritual blessings, um, it actually doesn't work that way. I do have to realize things. I have to know things. But I'm limited to just realizing and knowing without something else. We cannot accept these spiritual blessings without an action from God. Let's read Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. Ever since I heard, first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believed him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. 
God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. These verses, this, this prayer that Paul offers up for the church at Ephesus, for the people who live there and for us, are about the three things that we need in order to appropriate and accept the get blessings that are available to us. We need three things in order to accept the blessings that are available to us, and these things are only available from God. First is the wisdom of God, then the hope of God, and then the power of God. These are the three things that we need in order to accept these spiritual blessings. We cannot do it on their own. And without each of these things, what's going to happen for us as Christians is we're going to feel stuck in that space between realization and knowledge of what's, what is available to us. And I think that is a lot of people in the room today is we feel stuck in our relationship with God. Because we realize the way we ought to live our lives. We know the ways that we ought to live our lives, but what we haven't done is we haven't accepted it. We haven't accepted it to the point where it changes us, and we can't do that on our own. To paraphrase James, we don't have because we don't ask. We realize what's available to us. We maybe know what's available to us, but we haven't accepted what's available to us. Wisdom. Like when I play golf, which is not very often, but when I play golf, I usually don't do all of the proper things to mentally get ready to swing the club. Usually I just walk up to the ball and I do what I think is the right thing and I swing the club and I just hit it and the ball doesn't go anywhere near where I wanted it to go. And a big part of that is because I just lack discipline. It's not that I don't realize how to hold the golf club. It's not that I don't know how to stand. It's I haven't accepted those things. I wonder if this sounds like any one you know as it relates to God. We know a lot about God. We know he created the earth in six days. We know he flooded the earth. He rescued people out of Egypt. He gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He did all of these things. We have realization and we have knowledge of him. But what happens is we, we settle for that at the expense of a relationship with him. We haven't accepted the reality that what God wants is not just, not just an intellectual assent to the realities and to the knowledge of what this book tells us, but what God desires for us is to accept the reality, the fact that he wants a relationship with us. And ultimately what's happening here is we're, we're settling for our own limited wisdom. I know for me what that looks like is... Um, like, I think I know more than God in that given moment. Like, that's just, that's just my honesty, is when I, when I choose my wisdom over God's wisdom, and I would say, when you choose your wisdom over God's wisdom, 
what you're doing is, is you are making a statement, whether you know it or not, that you know more than God does in that given situation. And I don't think that's what we want to do, because I know that I don't know more than God does. But oftentimes, I act like I know more than God does. God just knows more than me. If you're a parent, you know this is true. You know more than your children. Okay, I want to... There are days where your kids may, may make you feel like you don't know more than them. But parents, grandparents, I want to affirm you, you know more than your children. You know more than your children. And I don't know more than God. God is infinite. God is infinite. Prior to the creation of, of the earth and the sun and everything that we see here, like one of the things we have to realize is there was, there was no such thing that we call time. God always existed before that. And then what we call time went into effect the first six days of creation. And what we need is we need for God to add his wisdom and his insight into our knowledge. Because we just don't think like he does. We don't have the knowledge base to think like God does. Which is why when you talk to your kids and they, and they push back on you because they know everything, right? They don't because they don't have the knowledge base. They don't have all of my years of experience. They don't have all of your years of experience. For the most part, when our kids push back on us on those things, sorry, not sorry, middle schoolers and high school students, you have no idea what you're talking about. I love you but you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know more than your parents, and we don't know more than God. And I think without God's wisdom and without God's insight, we begin to wonder if we are truly united with Christ. Do you see how that works? Because we've limited our relationship with God to realization and knowledge, we begin, we begin to question whether or not we're actually united with him. And I, I talk with so many people for whom they have zero assurance of their salvation. Zero. They remain unconvinced of God's love and acceptance for them. And I really think that this is what happens when we settle for realization and knowledge, when we don't allow it to affect us and to change us. I think this is what happens when we settle for realization and knowledge because so much of that is our own effort. How do we learn more about God? I just need to read the Bible more. And when I don't read the Bible as much as I'm supposed to, I feel bad. And then I begin to question whether or not God actually loves me. Because my understanding of a relationship with him is based on what I am doing. I'm currently reading a book by uh, author uh, Greg Gilbert. The book is called Assured. And he 
he gives a fantastic analogy about how we can know that we are saved. And he can know, and we can know when we are trying to do these things on our own. I'm going to read this little part of the book. The fruit on a tree can be an indicator of the tree's health. But to achieve a healthier tree, the solution isn't to make the fruit look better. Listen to what he's saying here. The fruit on a tree can be an indicator of the tree's health. But to achieve a healthier tree, the solution isn't to make the fruit look better. Rather, it's to tend to the root, which drives and creates the tree's health. I think what so many people do in these moments of feeling ununited and unconnected with Christ is we resolve to do better. I'll read my Bible more next week. I'll get, I'll get back on this reading plan tomorrow. But, Gilbert says, duct taping apples to a sick tree or painting rotten apples red doesn't make the tree healthier. We, as we have this wisdom and insight from God, we are changed on the inside. We must tend to the root that is inside of us. And this is why the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit inside of you, is the marker as to whether or not you are a Christian. That's the marker. The presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is the marker of the believer. It's not outer behaviors on their own. So Paul's, Paul's prayer here is really important. It's that God would flood their hearts, our hearts with light, so that we can see who we really are as believers. That we can understand the reality of our unity with Christ. We, we need God to flip that light switch on in our hearts so that we can see and we can understand, that we can realize, we can know, and we can accept what he has truly done for us. And what he's done for us is he's made us his rich and glorious inheritance. And see, that's a little different than what we talked about last week. When Paul was talking about the spiritual blessings, he said that we received an inheritance. But here, what Paul is saying is, it's not just that we are receiving an inheritance, but we are the inheritance. And we become part of the promise that is given to other people. This morning, when, when Nat and Gina were talking about how, how they felt connected to our church body and where that relationship came from. See, six years ago when Nat and Gina came to Westway Christian Church, you were that inheritance to them. You embodied what that was like to accept your role as God's inheritance to people in need of deeper connection with him. So when we only realize this, when we only know this, we get stuck in this loop where we're constantly trying to figure out, am I saved? 
What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do? Because I want to go to heaven, so what, what do I have to do? And what God alone offers, and this is so important for us to understand, only God can convince you that you are saved. Only God can do that. All of the efforts that, that we go through will never have the security of our salvation. We will never find it in those places. I wonder if you've ever been around someone who is completely resolved that they are a follower of Christ. Like 100% completely confident in their relationship with Christ. I think what God has given them is a relentless peace. They've realized this blessing. They know this blessing, and then they accept the blessing. And when those people sin, so we talked about last week, when those people sin, they confidently go to God's throne. Confidently. Not cockily, not arrogantly, but they confidently go to God's throne. Because what they're going to receive there when they show up at God's throne is mercy and grace. And they have seen this over and over and over and over again. What I find when I go to God after I've sinned is nothing but mercy and grace. Remember the the thought thought project we did last week where we closed our eyes and we imagined ourselves before Jesus on the throne and then we sinned and he turns and looks at us and I ask you the question, what look does Jesus have on his face? My hunch is for for some of us in the room it it was condemnation and it was anger and disappointment or embarrassment. It's mercy and grace. So that's what the Bible tells us. That's what Scripture tells us. So what I'm going to do when, what I'm going to do when I sin is that's where I'm going. Because, like, it's weird to talk about Scripture this way, but that better be true. I'm that better be true. And I wonder if we realize the reality that that this had better be true. Because if this is not true, I'll talk more about this next week. But if this is not true, Westway, we're just, we're in trouble. As people, we are in trouble. So when God says that I can boldly go to the throne of grace to receive mercy, when I sin, you know what I'm going to do? That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to go. I'm not going to spiral into this cycle of shame and guilt. Because that's not what God wants for me. God has something more for me, and he has something more for you. And I pray that for those of you who are wrestling with assurance, that you'll ask this of God, and then you'll just rest. Just rest I pray that you will realize, know, and accept that you cannot out-sin God's grace. 
You cannot out-sin God's grace. The only hope that we have is that is this, this is true. That's, that's all we got. Well, how, how can we know these things? How can we put our hope and our trust and our faith in them? And that's why the third thing is required that Paul prays for. That the believers would understand the greatness of God's power and what it offered when they accepted it. There's this scene in, in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus and his disciples are going across the lake. And Jesus is sleeping on the front of this boat. And this incredible storm comes up, wind and waves, and it's blowing over. And his disciples, many of whom are fishermen, understandably begin to freak out, right? Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, wake up. Don't you care about us? And what I love is Jesus, Jesus gets up. And he calms the wind and the waves with his voice. What's interesting about this is I was as I was reading through that text, up until this moment in Matthew chapter 8, up until this time in, in the history of Jesus' time on earth, up until this moment, Jesus, I don't think, had done anything different than many of the Old Testament prophets had done. He had healed people. He'd cast out demons. He'd fed people. Like, he'd done some things. And up until this moment... Jesus had done nothing different than any of the Old Testament prophets had done on their best day. And they probably looked at Jesus before this and they thought, Jesus, that's pretty powerful. Right? To heal people, to bring someone back from the dead, like we can all agree that that is, that's a, that's a higher degree of power than any of us have ever seen. So Jesus one-ups that, and he actually controls nature. He tells the wind and the waves to stop. But interestingly, in Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul is talking about this power of God, that's not the example Paul uses. The example that Paul uses when he talks about power is God's ability to bring back from the dead the guy that controlled the wind and the waves. So if wind and waves control is significantly higher level of power than any of us will ever achieve, and that guy dies, and somebody else brings that person back to life who could control the wind and the waves, do you see how much power God has? Do you see how much power we have access to? And then he sets Jesus at his right hand and he places him over everything. All powers, all authorities, everywhere is what God does with Jesus. And what does Jesus do with all of his phenomenal cosmic power and ultimate authority. What does, what does Jesus do with all of this power and authority? He uses it to benefit the church. That's what Jesus does, is he uses it to benefit the church. 
He doesn't rule and reign selfishly. He rules and reigns selflessly for our good and for our benefit. He fills us up. He lavishly and generously participates in each one of those spiritual blessings. And once, once we are full with those spiritual blessings, then we become those spiritual blessings for other people. I don't want you to miss that. Is these spiritual blessings that Paul is listing in Ephesians 1 are not meant to be just this thing that we kind of think about and this thing that we kind of know about. But he wants them to be things that we can accept. And when we accept them, we give, we have the ability as human beings who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to share these spiritual blessings with other people. We have that ability. God does not want us to stop at realize and know. God wants us to accept. He wants us to do something with what he has given us. He wants us to go out of this place as transformed people who are out to transform others by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for us, is to be filled, to realize, know, and accept that others might realize, know, and accept. And I pray, and we're going to pray in a moment, but I pray, I hope, I ask that we won't just realize and know that we're supposed to go out and make disciples. I pray that we won't just realize and know that we're supposed to love people who are different, different than us. I pray that we'll accept that. Because we can realize and know and not do a single thing about it. But to accept what Jesus is giving to us what he is asking of us to do. That's the proof that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Is when we do the things that he calls us to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this body of believers that we call Westway. I ask you... The glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give Westway spiritual wisdom and insight that we might grow in our knowledge of you. I pray that our hearts will be flooded with light, that we might understand the confident hope you've given to those you've called, your holy people who are your rich and glorious inheritance. I pray that we will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in you. I pray that we would see that this is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at your right hand in the heavenly realms. I pray that we would see Jesus as far above and ruler and leader of anything or any place in this world or in the future one. 
I pray that we would trust that you've put all things under the authority of Christ and that you have made Christ the authority over all things for the benefit of us, the church. I pray that we would see and experience ourselves as your body. I pray that we would see and experience ourselves as being made full and complete, who's filled us with himself. I pray that we would leave this place today and go out, filling the world with your presence through us, your body. It's in your Son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.